0: Interestingly, we have struggled with marketing ever since we stopped wheat pasting. Um, And the reality is 90-some percent of our students, certainly maybe in the high 90s, come by word of mouth.
1: That was Blue Bear School of Music Executive Director Stephen Savage. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this episode, Steven starts us off by sharing the story of how Tennessee Maori's stepmom came to be involved in the school. Tennessee is the director of the school's Little Bears program. Stephen goes on to talk about the evolution of Blue Bear over its 50 years everything from recruiting techniques to teaching philosophies. We end the episode with a discussion of Blue Bear's lasting power here in San Francisco.
0: Here's Stephen Savage. Okay, well, so I don't remember exactly how or when I met Susie, but I know it was way back, and she was teaching at Blue Bear. She was good friends with Bonnie Hayes, and that was clearly the connection. Okay. Um, Do you want to tell the, bon- the Bonnie Hayes story, how she yeah, showed up? Yeah, so, bon- well, the Hayes family is an interesting story. I mean, they have had uh, a lot of success in the music business, and they all came to Blue Bear within the first six months of the school open in 1971. Still
1: 71, yeah.
0: Um, Bonnie was, I'm not sure if she was 16 or 17, but she was still in high school. Her brother Chris was 13, and her brother Kevin was 12. Wow. And Kevin was my drum student. I was teaching drums at the time. Mm-hmm. So Bonnie has gone on to, she had a really pretty big career as a singer-songwriter, um, and I was her producer and her manager. And we had a record deal with Slash Records, uh, with X and Fear, and we met all those folks. Unfortunately, her record didn't do very well. So later, Bonnie and I got very involved in the punk scene, and we had a punk band. And that's how we signed with, signed with Slash Records, and, and we knew those, all those folks. Penelope, what was the name them. of that punk band?
1: That was called The Punts. The Punts, the, with a Z or with an S? With an S. S. Okay.
0: P, uh, but then it, when we signed with Slash, they insisted Punts. that we change the name, and it became Bonnie Hayes and the Wild Combo. Okay. And that was the name that her records were released under. She did several records. She ended up doing a record on Warner's that also didn't go anywhere. It, it came out right at the same moment that Sinead O'Connor's record came out. Oh, bad t- timing. Blitzed it out. Anyway, yeah. that's a whole other story. Back to Susie.
1: <laughs> well, were they, I was just going to ask quickly, were the Hayes kids from San Francisco?
0: They had just moved to San Francisco. The parents had split up. There were seven kids. Bonnie was the oldest. Catholic family, mm-hmm. um, and they moved into a house on Fulton Street. And Bonnie Bonnie made a friend at Washington High, and and he told her about Bluebear. And Bonnie and Chris and Kevin all came to school there. Just showed up because that's how you did showed things back up, then. Exactly, and they were all already talented um, musically, mm-hmm. and and they all became teachers very quickly. They all started as students, but, and Chris, I mean, Chris was a, a phenom guitar player at 13 and he joined Esther Phillips's band when he was like 15 and toured wow. Europe and, wow. and then he joined Huey Lewis. And um, so, um, so Bonnie, anyway, Bonnie had a career, a, a pretty big career as a singer songwriter and then became known more as a songwriter. And she had two songs on Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time Grammy album of the year record and for the last six years, she's been chair of the songwriting department at Berkeley College in Boston. Oh, yeah. Boston. Nice. Um, and, but she's coming back to work for us Oh, in January. Physically coming back? He Physically coming here? back, moving back, yes. Okay. She's going to come back. She's teaching songwriting for us now, remotely. Yeah. Again. Well, at but the she,
1: very least, better winters. I'm just going to say yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And um. she's
0: still, I mean, oh, so many friends here and... Including Susie, yeah. who a so, good, good friend.
1: so Bonnie was the connection to Susie. They knew that's each. Right. Do we know how they knew each other? We or? don't know. We'd have to ask Bonnie I, I would assume, Bonnie. I would
2: assume that's something that happened in LA with the touring circuit. Potentially that yes. uh, Billy Idol gig.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, exactly. I think that that was a part of it. But exactly how how it came about, I don't know. That's
1: okay. You must know, like her story of getting started with Bluebear, though. Bonnie. And Susie. Susie, specifically. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know, I, again, I don't really know how she came to us. Although oh, at that time...
2: I, I know a bit of a story here. I was
0: running the, running the school, so I probably interviewed her, but I don't remember. Um,
2: the way that Susie tells it, she had uh, left L.A. because she was tired of the L.A. music scene, and she had been in a band that she was really excited about, and the the lead writer died. Mm. And she was just, like, totally lost about what to do with her musical career. She had grown up in the Bay Area. Um, Her mom was still here in Fairfax, and she, like, went backpacking up in the mountains in Idaho for a couple of weeks with her new puppy and then moved to San Francisco and was like, I'm just going to teach because I don't want to do this stupid touring thing anymore. I don't want to have conversations with these shallow people who only want me for my connections anymore. I don't want to do this whole thing. I thought that I had this great thing, and now it's gone, and I'm just going to go home. Okay. And she did and basically Bonnie told Dennis. Yeah. Oh. And Dennis called her up and was like, "Hey, do you need a do you need a teaching gig?" Mhm. And the, I mean, she was teaching at Blue Bear within the next couple of months.
1: I think obviously the reason I wanted to hear that is because that's your connection in, yes. right? That's to right. to to Blue Bear. Um, Steve, do you want to talk about uh, the opening of the school, like that's kind of where we had left off with your story. So Yeah,
0: the, well, the, the school was sort of bifurcated by the fact that the first two and year, two and and a half years of the school, it was about the school, but it was even more about the band. Um, Wolfgang and Strauss was the name of the band. And the school was honestly just thought of as sort of a stopgap measure. And um, we were all teaching and. Earning a bit of money, I think we had like 60 students or something um, total, um, and but, but we were, and, and then Steve Strauss, the leader of the band, had this idea of all these great musicians, Bonnie and Chris, and a, um, a bunch of other of the teenagers who had come to the school, we created what we called the electric orchestra and folk chorus with them so we made a band of like 16 with three acoustic guitars and a, is
1: that that photo you showed shown that, us that photo okay.
0: exactly yeah. um, a lot of people on stage a lot of people on stage and <laughs> yeah. we created a whole show nice. um, and we played friends and relations hall which is was the place that the avalon moved to when the avalon closed down it was out by the beach it was pretty short-lived but that, that was where our Really, our our biggest run with that big band was, um, and we got um, Ed Denson, who had been Country Joe and the Fishes manager, and then Joy of the Cook- Joy of Cooking's manager, and then he became our manager. Okay. So we had a manager, and we had the show, and um, we made a single called Watergate, that was about Watergate, which was happening at the mm-hmm. moment, and. Ed shopped us around and couldn't get us a record deal. Um, I mean, I, and then, and honestly, there was some conflict between Steve and Ed that I wasn't that much of a party to. But that relationship went sour, and we had we had sort of had our shot, but actually not for that long. And we might have continued and maybe something would have happened, but instead there was. Um, Personality conflict, and so, right. and so the band broke up, and um, and for a minute, most of the electric orchestra and folk chorus took the school over with Ed. Okay. Ed Denson decided he liked the school, and there was um, this sort of community of um, of young uh, musicians that took the school over with Ed, and and actually I was. I had left and I was not here, not officially here for about six months.
1: Not uh, in San Francisco. Not I was not in San Francisco, but I was no longer with affiliated
0: with the school, okay. actually. And after six months, about six months, Carol Snow, who was one of the one of the people who had taken over the school, one of the musicians that had been in the band, called me up and said, the association, as they were called, is falling apart. Are you interested in coming back and running the school with me? Oh, wow. And and i said sure so carol and i took the school over that was probably 73 or 74. okay and um and at the time we were i think we had about 60 students and we were like three thousand dollars in debt which at the time seemed like an enormous amount of money absolutely (laughs) and um and we just hunkered down and slowly were paying off the debt and then i think it was 77 a couple of years three or four years later somebody told me about Fort Mason Mm. and I came out here and Fort Mason got the California Conservation Corps which was this California initiative of at-risk kids that um, so we hired we had to hire a uh, contractor uh, and California Conservation Corps provided the labor which were these kids and bought all the materials and built the school for us. Wow. And so that's how we got moved here. It was an incredible deal. Yeah.
1: I mean, that must've been super exciting for y'all.
0: It was super exciting and that changed everything. And then we started to grow out out at Ocean Avenue. We just, we're just scraping by, but getting here um, really is what allowed the school to become what it's become. How did y'all get students? We wheat pasted. We posted. Yeah, we went out at yes. midnight. You know, one o'clock in the morning with yes. our posters yes. and our wheat paste, and put them on on poles all over the city. We did that for years. We awesome. were expert wheat pasters. Mm-hmm. We yeah. never
1: got busted. In the dark of night. How do y'all get students now, or you know, what what's been the program?
0: Well, the uh, interestingly, we have struggled with marketing ever since we stopped wheat pasting. <laughs> um, and the reality is 90-some percent of our students, certainly maybe in the high 90s, come by word of mouth. Okay, That's really what it's all about. Right. And so our main task is to run great programs and have great teachers. And that's what brings people here. Got it. We do social media. We do some advertising. Yeah. We do Google we, ads. We, we have
2: done a lot of different types of marketing over the years. We've bought ads through uh, Yelp and Google and right. um Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, like we have done it all. And really word of mouth remains the thing
1: in physical ads. You were showing me the Muni.
2: We did the
0: buses, the buses came to us through a couple of different donations. So we've done that, Mm -hmm. that something that we couldn't really afford. And, but that, that has brought some people, but not as many as you might expect, but it is all about, as you know, we, we have learned what uh, some Something about business, even though we're all musicians. Um, so the whole brand awareness thing. Um, and I like to think that Blue Bear's presence in the city is pretty uh, high at this point. So, nice. you know, I'm constantly running people into people. And we've had 40,000 students through the doors wow. here. So it's almost hard to find someone who hasn't heard of Blue Bear and even to find someone who hasn't either been a student at the school themselves or know somebody who's been a student at the school. Right. So this is, you know, it's what 50 years do, does for you. Yeah, and
1: persistence. its, it's just some, ex- There's something ex- in there. Exactly. In, in that. Um, okay, let's jump back to, uh, well, the first, let's say, decade or so. Did y'all have like a, a music slash music education philosophy already out of the bat? or Yes, okay. we
0: did. And it was, but it was very much a, We were all children of the 60s, and it was um, very much, and it wasn't until more recently that we have uh, taken the uh, empowering people to play the music they love, which is sort of a concise way of saying that that's what our philosophy was that we wanted to help you play the music we didn't we didn't have a you should be playing this or you should be playing that this is the pathway through whatever you want to do whatever you want to play however you want to do it and that's been our philosophy with our teachers for the most part too which is however you want to teach we don't have a set curriculum we're not going to give you the book to teach this way teach the way you want to teach we do give our teachers feedback and over the years we've become a little more um, careful in hiring and careful with our teachers Mm -hmm. but our primary uh, way of keeping teachers or letting teachers go has been retention. If they keep their students, if the students like them, then they stay. Mm -hmm. If they if they start losing a lot of students, we stop giving them new students. It works out.
1: Do you want to talk about? um, I mean, I'm already just thinking in terms of how Blue Bear might have changed, but also because you know, hip hop didn't even exist when y'all um, and then electronic Bruce. music didn't exist. Like, have, how have y'all evolved in, in those ways to incorporate those genres and, and those folks that do that? Do you music. want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're kind of
2: built as the school of rock and roll. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to teach all the different types of music. Right. And, like, the idea of contemporary music and slightly countercultural music being very important to, to what's going on musically in the world is... Definitely part of Blue Bear, and we know that that's what's going on with EDM and with hip-hop and with some other more modern forms of music right now. Mm -hmm. And so we've been putting out programs. We've had some um, electronic music production courses. We've had some DJing courses. We've had some hip-hop production courses as well, particularly in our outreach program, which is working with uh, teens down in some more disadvantaged part of the city to help them, I don't know, put their time towards something good rather than something bad. Mm -hmm. And... um, and that they've been working, you know. Yep. The, there have been some really great success stories coming out of that. Lynell, um, really amazing success story that came out of the hip hop production program. One of
0: those kids who ended up teaching for us and nice. Cole Bergman, who is here now doing something, who runs that program is uh, a rock and roll drummer and also a DJ and an electronic musician person and was also an elementary school teacher in the earliest incarnation of his life. He's the perfect person to be running this program for Mm -hmm. us. And he has, I mean, he's been with us like 12 years or something.
1: Yep.
2: Awesome. And he, of course, he's also a DJ and we have this DJ program. And going back to word of mouth, it takes our programs a while to to get to their full capacity because if no one has taken the class and there's no one to give that word of mouth feedback and so the dj program just limped Limped. for years Mm. absolutely limped and now um is totally full uh and we can only we end up well not during the pandemic but otherwise we do it in clubs and so you're like there in this club learning to dj like a little earlier in the evening or whatever for 12 weeks did that Learning to yeah. Uh, for those so listening, uh, Tennessee
1: just did the whole DJ scratching the record. Uh-huh. He didn't do one hand on the the oh, earphones. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't need yeah.
2: that. I can just look at the groups, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll see if I can add a sound effect. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they
2: they're, they're there. They're learning for twelve weeks, and then they have a showcase. there at the club, and their friends can come and like see them up on the stage at the Monarch DJing Ooh. with the lights and the smoke, and, you know. And that's right all on, really right. fun. And then they see it and they're like, wait, I, I want to do that. Or their friend's like, man, that was that was really fun. And there's a couple more students in the next quarter. And there's a couple more students in the next quarter. And then eventually we have to open a second section. And those right. are now both full. And actually, we can't open another section at that club because they need Ooh. other things going on at the club rather than just it to be a school for five days a week. Right. So um, that program, we're trying to find new spots for it or whatever, but it seems like it's hit a capacity that it can be at right now. And mm-hmm. we're hoping that the other programs that we have, the electronic music production and the um, the hip hop production courses that are more the not rock and roll, not folk things that we're doing right. also will eventually grow and become that those full things that
1: um, just sort of keep sustaining themselves. Awesome. I love it. Um, besides yourself and a couple of folks you mentioned who went through the school and then are now working here or teaching here in wh- whatever capacity. Um, do you all want to talk about any other sort of, I guess, success stories? Yeah. People you know, that well, yeah. came out of
0: here?
2: There's three that come to mind for me. Which are? Dennis, Dem- Rachel, and Eli- Elias.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you can. Great. Well, I should tell Dennis's story because basically uh, it, way back in the late 70s when my career as a musician Um, And as a record producer started becoming more active Um, We needed to hire somebody to do what I had been doing here Which was interviewing and hiring the teachers and sort of running the day-to-day and there was a student Dennis um, Who seemed like the perfect candidate and he basically took my job over and that was? 40 years ago.
2: Oh wow. He's the general manager now. Okay. He's
0: he's still with us and still playing music He's made a bunch of records and um, he
2: produces some records too I mean he, he yeah. does the mixing and stuff he, yeah. he plays some sets across the, across the way in Building C in the Italian oh. Museo, he loves mm-hmm. Italian music and sometimes he'll get a couple of us staff members to like back him up for his sets at the Museo, it's been a lot of fun Brad.
0: and then Rachel and yeah,
2: Rachel. Rachel was a scholarship student here uh, when the scholarship programs were just beginning at Blue Bear and she was taking Boogie Woogie Piano from a teacher named Caroline who still teaches for us and she is now a musician. She's been a Little Bears teacher for us, uh, teaching the toddler programs for uh, 10 years, something like Probably. that, more. Um, and she's a total rock star and she has her own band and she like teaches Little Bears classes and gigs with her band. And There's one that you mentioned Elias. Uh, yeah, Elias, Elias is a, uh, he was actually one of my students when I was teaching the All-Star band. Um, he was 13 or 14 and Came with his long hair and his like teenage attitude and his guitar and like loves to shred you know Mm -hmm. and he's really very compassionate and wonderful and really a sick musician and um, did the same thing that I did where he was taking camps for a while and some lessons and then he started to be interning and student teaching and eventually after he got out of high school we hired him on as a private lesson teacher and as a summer camp teacher and he's been doing that for us since then and simultaneously juggling his college classes. Right on.
0: And these teachers for us um, you know he's young in his 20s super long hair total rock and roller mm-hmm. and yet great teacher super responsible we can count on him for everything and students love him you know the the 13 or 14 year old boys it's like Yeah, is I mean if you have a if you have a golfing. 13 14
2: year old boy who's looking to play like rock and roll guitar or rock and roll bass Right. Ilias is definitely one of the people that you would just be like, great, we have some openings this time, this yeah, time, and this yeah, time. Let's yeah, right. see if that works for you. Yeah, Nice. He's been great. And it's that pipeline, you know, we all, Dennis, myself, Rachel, Ilias, we all started as students and just something about the school kept us coming back.
1: Yeah. I love it. I mean, you were talking about retention earlier. That's a form of retention. Not totally. student retention, but student staff, I mean, our staff, yeah.
0: the, all of our staff, uh, uh, most all of our staff have been here for a long time. And that's a real tribute to... The rest of the staff into the school, into the spirit of the school. The, the spree de corps and the staff is really fabulous.
1: Awesome. I wanted to pivot sort of the last thing I'd I'd like to talk about with you guys is, um, 50 years for the school. Our theme, my Michelle's on Story San Francisco, our theme this year is we're still here, um, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the social and racial uprising last summer, Everything that's going on, coming, I'm just going to say it, coming out of the four years of Trump, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, uh, what is it called, the, well, I'm just going to say the diaspora out of San Francisco, a lot of people are leaving, yep. and the whole point is, like, we're still here. I think y'all can probably relate on a certain yes. level to that. Do you want to speak to what that means, though, to to you as individuals, but also to the school of, like, looking, looking ahead a little bit?
0: Yes, I think, you know, the 50th anniversary has really been an opportunity to... Think about that, Um, and the pandemic. You know, uh, I've lived through a lot of really interesting things in my life. None of them as weird as the pandemic, and uh, it's been a shocker. Um, (laughs) Seriously, but um, my mother-in-law
1: says the same. It's like Watergate. Exactly. I mean, all that shit. Exactly. Vietnam. All that. Nothing.
0: Exactly. Um, So. Uh, and then for the school to have to pivot, and Tennessee was really in the uh, in the trenches for the two <laughs> weeks after we shut down, mm-hmm. porting everything over to online, teaching the teachers how to use Zoom, and contacting a million students. And, you know, we have like 800 students. And, yeah, um,
2: I communicated with nearly every single one of them.
0: I mean, that's
1: like <laughs> a small university at that point. Yeah.
0: That's it, enormous. It is, it, is, it is enormous. So it, it was... Uh, kind of thrilling and kind of exhausting and reasonably successful Uh, you know we are still here and in fact uh, the staff has taken a salary reduction although I hope to to plan to bring everybody back up to full salary in September nobody lost their job here which is awesome and um, we had um, you know we're at about 60% of our normal revenue but we got PPP loan money twice, Good. Good. and we have some of it. We have some wonderful funders that stepped up and, um, without even us asking, saying we're giving you more money because we know these are tough times for you now. So uh, we're coming out of this actually quite healthy, Good. and we're doing a lot of stuff to celebrate our 50th anniversary and trying to secure our legacy. And have you guys um, have you seen or do you know about our Jack Black video?
2: No, I don't. Okay, oh, yeah. it's so cool. Uh, so we have this program called the All-Star Band, which is our teenage rock band program. Mm-hmm. Very much like School of Rock, mm-hmm. right? And we got in touch with Jack. There was a connection to a connection. And, Through a board member. And we got in touch with him. And we're like, hey, you know, we're a, we're like the original school of rock and roll and we're turning 50 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to do a song with our teenage rock band? And he was like, heck yeah. Yes. And uh, he did. And they played Suffrage at City. We had all the kids. Yes. On video and it's all uh, they like really copped all the parts from the record and they are we had to record the drummer here um, both visually and audio I mean like that's a small recording studio over there and he doesn't have a drum kit with a bunch of mics in his house and so then we have this beautiful video of like nine or ten kids around the outside and Jack Black right in the center singing suffragette city and rocking out and pointing out the different all-star band kids and then at the end giving a big shout out to us and to them and oh man it's really exciting it's really really cool
0: we're in the process we're going to use that to create another video which will really be celebrating the school's mission and history a lot of the archival photos and stuff with interspersed with jack um giving a shout out to us and little bits of the song and that's this is for us a lot about securing our legacy and celebrating 50 years and trying to uh, ensure that we're going to be here for the next 50 years because that's the plan
2: yeah Uh, in terms of being here we're still here um i I remember talking to dennis on i he and i carpooling together both from the east bay when we were both working full-time at the desk and doing all that stuff and talking to him about it was just the week before the lockdown happened before the pandemic and everyone was starting to cancel their lessons and we were seeing a pretty serious reduction happening and all these different things and i was just like you know we've seen other economic downturns. You know, we lived through 2008. We lived through these different things. But I've never actually seen anything affect our students as much as this right now. And then it got, whatever, 50 times more (laughs) intense. Yes. (laughs) Yes, And lasted forever. And lasted forever. But yeah, we're still here. Um, We managed to make it through. We worked hard. We offered a good service. And people gave us the benefit of the doubt. And we managed to make it through. And that's awesome. And I, as one of the younger people on staff, I think it's more on me to be looking at the next 50 years rather than the past 50 because i'm the one who would be sort of taking the admin through some of that time and i don't think i'm been, gonna
0: still be here 50 years from now i'm pretty sure i will we'll be gone if you are but tennessee will be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: i mean just i if we can survive the pandemic i feel confident that we can survive anything <laughs>
1: was Tennessee Mowry and Stephen Savage. We're taking a short summer break next week. Perfect time to explore our archives. But we'll be back the following week with the next episode of Storied San Francisco. You'll get to know Gus's Discount Tackle owner, Stephanie Scott. Tune in for episode 18 on July 27th. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald, Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm Podcast Network
0: learn more at podcast.bff.fm bff.fm
2: best frequencies forever